Welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens, and I'm the founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview our unbundled attorneys, as well as the leading experts in the industry, to identify the best practices for converting leads into paying clients, and how to ethically and profitably deliver unbundled legal services and other affordable options in your practice. To learn more about how exclusive unbundled leads can help you grow your practice, visit our website at unbundledattorney.com. All right. Welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. We are happy to be back. It's been a couple months since we last released our previous podcast episode. Uh, The decision to transition the podcast to a video podcast has taken uh, a next level investment of time, energy, and team in order to make it happen. Obviously, we've got uh, cameras, equipment, a backdrop, all these things. So I appreciate your patience with uh, waiting for this next episode is something we're committed to making sure that we have a new episode every month for you. And so couldn't be happier to be reissuing the podcast with uh, my man, Clay Wilkinson here. We've spent many, many years working together. Uh, he's one of the original, the first attorneys we worked with in in Texas and Dallas. So uh, has been fielding literally thousands of leads from our company and has gone through a lot of different changes and evolutions to his practice. And so really looking forward to unpacking the, the chronicle of your journey and, uh, and hearing about all the lessons you've learned along the way. Happy so, to be here. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, so really appreciate you taking the time, man. So I think what would be a really good time, uh, place to start just before we got started, we were talking a little bit about your background and that you had a little bit of a different life prior to, to lawyering. Maybe you could share a little bit about your initial endeavors in broadcast journalism. Sure. Yeah, this is all very familiar to me, this whole setup. So uh, born and raised in Dallas, uh, went to undergraduate school and then lived for seven years after in Washington, D.C., got a degree in broadcast journalism. As part of that, uh, I worked at CBS News, 60 Minutes, National Public Radio, did some broadcasting for them, uh, then worked in media relations and public relations and did a number of different projects where I was in New York and Washington and other places around the country doing a lot of really just work day to day with newsmakers and press and uh, government officials and that sort of stuff. And, and kind of eventually got to a point where, you know, I, once you know how to draft a press release, set up a press conference, talk to a reporter, message things a certain way, it just got very routine for me. Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was a judge for a number of years in Dallas. My <clears throat> stepfather was an attorney for a long time as well. And so I had lawyers in my family. I sort of knew what being an attorney day to day could be like. And I saw different types of attorneys just in friends and family. And I thought, this is something where with a law degree alone, you don't even have to practice law. You can do any number of different things. But if you do practice law, you can do any number of different things too. And so it appealed to me to come back home to Dallas, go to law school, and then start my legal career. Hmm. Where were you living at the time before that? So from Dallas originally, I went to uh, school at American University in D.C. and then was in D.C. for 11 years and then came back uh, and have been back in Dallas now for 11 years. And you did law school in, in Dallas? It, I did at SMU. SMU? Yeah. Okay. All right. And so take us through uh, when you graduated law school, uh, I believe you, did you go straight into working in a firm or was that when you started with, were you working with Thomas? You can take us through just those, those initial stages. Sure. So... The funny thing is, as a way to kind of get into it, is, as you know, I only do family law now, and that's really all I've done for most of my legal career. Uh, During law school, I think the summer after my second year, I had a clerkship with a judge in Dallas, 
and there was a fair amount of downtime, and she would say, on your downtime, feel free to roam around the courthouse, pop in on this hearing, that hearing, see what you like, see what you don't like. And I distinctly remember going into a family court hearing. I was the only one in the courtroom except for the judge, the two attorneys, and the husband and wife who were arguing back and forth about who knows what. And it was an old courthouse, old courtroom, dim lighting. It looked like the most miserable thing I'd ever seen, and I wanted nothing to do with it. I never thought I'd ever practice it. And then here I am. Mm. So <clears throat> it's funny how that all develops. But um, I ended up graduating from law school in 2011. I got licensed that same year. I joined briefly for about six, seven months a civil defense firm, just a regular firm that company sues a company, you know, we defend against it. It was primarily a desk job. It was incredibly boring. It wasn't satisfying in any way because really you're just helping, you know, company X save a million here, a million there. Yeah. You know, it wasn't really doing any greater purpose, I didn't feel. Uh, ultimately, one of my best friends from law school was a guy named Thomas Howery, who, mm -hmm. as you know, was one of the original uh, providing attorneys through the first version of Unbundled Attorney. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of decided to take a break from the civil defense environment, see if I could help him on some projects. He was doing primarily family law at the time as well, was getting leads from you back then. I think that was probably 2013 or 14 when I connected 14, with yeah. him. And just threw some family law cases my way. I ended up- Five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah, it's baby. crazy. Wow. Uh, threw some family law cases my way, ended up really enjoying you know, working with people, doing important work for them you know, that was personally important, feeling like you're doing things that's impacting their financial situation, their relationship with their kids, even their relationships with each other. Um, and then we just kind of grew from there. It, it became a partnership, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. uh, we opened up a small family law firm uh, that was called Howry and Wilkinson mm -hmm. that was in existence for maybe three years total. Uh, at our I guess, I'm not sure if Zenith is the right word or Apex or whatever. At our peak, I guess, we um, it was him and me. We had an associate attorney, a contract attorney. We literally covered every county in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Yeah, you had an associate that was in Fort Worth, right? Or well, was the, that contract the contract attorney lawyer? was in Fort Worth. That's right. We had yep. an associate here in Dallas, uh, had a bunch of office space, a couple support staff, and really we're just kind of churning and burning uh, and doing pretty well. And then... As you know, uh, after about three-ish years, I got an offer to join a family law section at a very large downtown firm. And at the time, it was the sort of scenario where, you know, I, in my mind at the time, I saw it as maybe a, a step up in my career to be surrounded by attorneys that had decades more experience than I did, be a part of a big firm environment, have the support and security that goes along with that. Of course, never having worked for a big firm before and not really knowing at that point what the downsides would be. And, and also, the, I mean, frankly, the salary offer, too, was compelling at that point in my career, having only been maybe a four or five year attorney at that mm -hmm. point. So I, I made the decision to leave the partnership, join that large firm, uh, worked there for about a year. It was about two months into that year that I realized I was miserable and I made a big mistake, but you don't want to, for resume purposes and all that and, and bridge building, you don't want to just cut, you know, cut your losses after two months. So I stuck around for a year uh, and then just after about a year of being consistently miserable with the work demands, the loss of control over what clients you could help and not help, mm. the fact that literally it was 7500 bucks up as far as initial retainers went. And if somebody could even offer five, they wouldn't even take the case, which to yeah. me seemed ridiculous. Yeah. 
And then also the overbilling that would occur to justify partner salaries and profits and all the massive overhead that goes along with a big firm. I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't living either the personal life I wanted to live, the professional life I wanted to live, and really contributing with the skills and experience that I developed at that point. So long story short, I ended up making a decision in May of 2017 to leave that firm, not really with any exit strategy other than, you know, maybe I can find another place to work. Maybe I'll just go solo. At least I knew initially I'd be solo. Do you remember that moment when you made that decision? Like, I did, yeah. I was talking with my wife and, and just saying, I, I can't keep doing this. I mean, I'm missing time with you. I'm missing time with the kids. I'm, you know, the salary wasn't worth it at that mm. point. And the total loss of control over, again, who you help and how you help them was just really dispiriting to me. Was there a number of clients that you wanted to provide services to, but you just literally were, your hands were tied as far as? Yeah, and it, it almost got to the point where there were a couple people that I recall that, you know, I probably shouldn't admit this on, <laughs> on you know, TV or recording, but people that I would just sort of help on the side, you mm -hmm. know, and that I wouldn't really charge anything or just charge very minimally because they had a case where they needed help. I didn't know enough good attorneys that were affordable enough to refer them to somebody and feel confident with that. And I just said, you know, it's better for me to help you and do it the right way, um, even if it's off the books, than to just send you on your way because, you know, and, and leave you to the wolves, I guess. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, there were other people that I did have to turn away, either because I didn't have the bandwidth or, you know, they couldn't come up with seven to 10,000 bucks to retain that larger firm. So I made the decision to leave. Uh, I knew at least in the interim I had to be solo, didn't have any support staff, didn't have anyone to help, didn't really have any source of clients at that point except for maybe the dozen or so that came with me when I left that firm. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, pretty soon after that I reached out back out to you mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of had a basically a very frank conversation with you about my evolution of my practice, the thought process uh, that went behind my decision to join that large firm, my decision to leave the large firm. Uh, and you were gracious enough to sort of bring me back on board, you know, well, help I think, me. I think, I think Thomas was still working with us at the time. Right. And so then we had a kind of a conversation with Thomas and he was like, yeah, uh, I can't remember what it was. I think we, you were rotating in or did you take over his leads at some point? I can't remember exactly, but I think we were still working with him. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're right. And it's, I'm sort of glossing over that part of it, but yeah, Thomas was still, uh, had his own firm at that point, right. basically the revised version of what he maintained after I left. I guess I'm trying before. to, I think you guys still stayed separate though. I guess that was the thing is like, did we go from you working with Thomas and then you started working for a big firm, then you came back and worked with Thomas again? Right. Well, I think you guys still stayed separate that second time around, hey? The second time around from a, a practical standpoint, we stayed separate. Yeah. He maintained his firm. I sort of had my own thing, but we yeah. would, we still cooperated in a, logistical way, case management way, mm -hmm. and kind of with your, you know, blessings sort of started to, to split off some of the leads again. Yes. Um, he was still primarily, you know, the, the leads would go to his firm. And then I was there essentially as kind of a contract attorney, I guess, getting reacquainted with unbundled and the way that you guys operate. Uh, and then also some coaching and guidance from you, you know, initially as well. Yeah, I'll make a quick segue just for those that don't know. Um, it's just the way we work with unbundled attorney is we provide exclusive leads. And so, Thomas was taking, was servicing the counties that Clay was interested in coming on board in. And so, you know, we don't, we wouldn't just bring on a new attorney without making sure that the existing attorneys are, you know, happy with splitting the volume because if it's an exclusive lead, it's only going to one lawyer. 
right? And so we, you know, this was kind of what we worked out with Thomas. We said, hey, you know, Thomas, are you, you know, we have Clay wants to come back on. Are you okay with splitting the volume? Do you want to work together? And, you know, we had these conversations because, you know, when you're building a firm and you're getting a high volume of clients that requires, you know, support staff or hiring contract lawyers or, you know, getting infrastructure in place in order to be able to serve a high volume of clients. There's no other way to do it. And so if we were to, you know, help you build up a firm and then just all of a sudden brought on a couple more lawyers and the volume just dropped and all these people were out of a job and so forth. So uh, we take that really seriously. So that was kind of that transition that that uh, we worked through with uh, with you and Thomas and it ended up working out you know pretty well. It did. Yeah. And I guess, you know, fortunately for really for him and for me, he made a personal decision a handful of months, I guess, after I came back in the fold to uh, leave doing family law to, uh, you know, again, with your blessing and, and I guess his blessing as well, sort of leave uh, the all of the leads that he was getting primarily to to then with me. Uh, and he transitioned out of the family law environment more to sort of a civil litigation, more secure, you know, in his mind environment. Um, and then I kind of took things over from there. And I think at the time I was exclusively Dallas and really all the other counties that he was servicing at that time, which I think are Rockwall, Collin County, yeah, yeah. maybe even Ellis County at that point, but it was four or five counties yeah. with just me. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm smiling because I remember that was the next phase because it's a high volume. I mean, Dallas is one of the highest volume counties in the entire country. Mm -hmm. So I think you were getting anywhere from seven to 15 sometimes leads a day. Right. So we can certainly chronicle that a little bit as far as uh, that process and the conversations we had around, hey man, like what? Do you, how do you want to approach this? Because I mean, when you're dealing with that many clients, you have to grow or make some adjustments. So can right. you maybe talk a little bit about that process? Sure, yeah. So the volume then was the same that the volume was when Thomas and I had that small firm. Kind of like you said, seven to literally sometimes a day, 15 leads that would come in. You know, where it's just, you feel like every, every five minutes your phone is binging with somebody that needs help. And when we were the small firm, it was great because we had somebody in Tarrant County in Fort Worth that we could farm those two. We had an associate here we could farm those two. Thomas and I could split those. We had a paralegal and assistant that could help manage the volume. When I then came back in and after Thomas transitioned out, it's literally just me trying right. to handle up to 15 per day. Which very quickly, you know, of course, you really you think in the beginning, well, this will be great. I'll have all these potential clients coming in. I'll make all this money. This will be fantastic. And then the tidal wave hits, <laughs> and, you, and you wake up from you know being washed up on shore, and you realize I can't do this. Um, and, and not only is it a matter of me not being capable of doing that, it's doing a disservice to the people that really do need help. Yeah. Um, because if you're, you know, frankly, if you're just ignoring or can't properly service the people that are, you know, hitting submit day in day out then you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so I reached out to you pretty quickly and I said, I, I appreciate the volume. I can't handle it. Yeah. What can we do? Yes. Uh, and I think you, you know, again, we, we brought on some other provider attorneys in the area, reduced the volume, allowed me to, to then better serve those clients. And then again, with the other people that went through the training process, um, learn how to kind of provide unbundled the way that, you know, you think is best. Uh, it really became much more manageable. And then the, the quality of service that you're providing is that, that much better too. Mm. Maybe we can talk through that just a little bit as far as, you know, how we figured out 
the best course of action because there's a lot of options, right? As far as, you know, hey, you're getting a volume of clients, you're getting so much business, you, you can't even handle the amount of clients. It's a good problem to have, but it, it still has its own challenge, right? And so there was a few directions that we could have gone right there, right? Like, hey, you know, we could hire, we could, we could get an associate involved, you could build a firm like the one you had with Thomas, but that wasn't something you felt like you wanted to do. Maybe you can kind of talk about that conversation we had and, and, and why you felt you wanted to proceed in the direction you did at the time. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, to your credit, you know, one of the things that that I've really come to admire and appreciate about, you know, the the company, the organization that you've created and the sort of person that you are is I can't think of another company that that in a lot of ways is a for profit company. Of course, you have the different foundation, you know, um, ventures that you have and some of the nonprofit things that you're exploring into. But it's still a for profit company mm-hmm. whose CEO and founder is willing to invest personal time and in a lot of ways personal resources in having each of the provider attorneys succeed in the way that they want. You know, as long as you're adhering to the mission and the and the principles and the goals of unbundled attorney. And so the conversation that we had was, again, to your point, you can do any of those things. You can scale up, you can stay solo, you can create a large firm, you can you know, hire a bunch of different contract attorneys, never practice law and just manage that process. You can do any, really anything you want to do. And you made yourself available to say, whatever you want to do, I'll find a way to support that. Mm. Uh, And I just, for a variety of personal reasons, um, partly I'm a control freak and don't trust a whole lot of other people. Um, We're working on this. We're working on that. (laughs) Uh, My wife appreciates the work. Uh, But I just kind of made a personal decision to say, you know, at least at this point in my career, I feel most comfortable and maybe in some ways it was a reaction to feeling totally restrained and constrained by the large firm environment I had just come from yep. where, you know, not only do you have to ask to do everything, you know, you get one answer from one person and a different answer from the other person and they sometimes don't align. And that was just very frustrating for me. So I know at the time I really felt a desire to sort of do my own thing, be accountable only to myself, trusting myself and the quality of my work. Uh, and whether it's just inertia or, or whatever the case, you know, it's, it's sort of remained that way for the last year and a half. Uh, but I know at any point I could have called you and we have had conversations since then about maybe moving in different directions. Maybe we can talk about that more today too. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I know whatever direction I wanted to go in and if that changed at any point in the last year and a half that you would be there to support that and help find a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, I think it speaks just to the quality of the relationship and what we're doing here. I, I really appreciate being able to work with you. It's um, a privilege to find lawyers that have the same, you mentioned earlier on, like a, a, you know, a greater purpose, a desire to serve. I mean, you literally left a full ser- full-time salary with a big full-service law firm within months or maybe a year because you just felt like you need to do the right thing. And again, about your integrity, uh, you know, pulled away from big that that guaranteed with net like you said not even a, an exit plan just hey this isn't the right thing to do i want to serve these people you're literally volunteering time on the side or finding ways to serve these people that the firm wouldn't um you know that's not usual you know so it's it's oh it's been great and it's the best part of what we do is we get to work with attorneys like yourself that um won't settle for that kind of a life won't settle for anything less than doing great work and also serving people in in a meaningful way and, and obviously giving people access to the to, to services that they otherwise wouldn't be able to afford. So um, we love what we're doing here and so we're happy to support attorneys like yourself in whatever way, shape, or form that's going to take. 
And like, you know, to, to what you're discussing here, there is a lot of different options and ways in which we can, we can make that work. We've had attorneys like yourself that have stayed solo. And then we just brought on additional attorneys to, to help handle the volume where, you know, when a lead comes in, you know, multiple leads come in, you know, we just, one lead goes to this attorney, then the next lead goes to the next attorney and actually go to the next attorney and then it goes back. Right. So we, we split up the volume. Then there's the option of hiring, you know, in-house associates or creating a partnership where, you know, attorneys work within the firm, either as partners or you're hiring them as an actual employee in the, in the firm, right? And then you have the option where you can hire contract lawyers, right? Where you do the initial consultation, you know, uh, then hand that client off to that contract lawyer and that contract lawyer handles it from start to finish. And then you have the option where you can handle a higher volume of cases yourself if you just get some support staff. Right. So maybe it would be helpful is like if you when we look at those options, how you kind of analyze for yourself at the time, why you went the solo route as and and also continue. I don't think even at that time you wanted to have you know any support staff or a secretary. You were you know straight solo, which is, you know, a lot of attorneys go that route um, and it's a respectful choice. Um, and then, you know, and then I think we're also making some transitions to, to go more the contract route as well. But what was your analysis given those options at the time why you to go that direction as opposed to others? And I think that might help with attorneys that are in a similar position for, you know, better understanding how to make those decisions for themselves. Yeah, it's a good question. And really, as I reflect back on it, I wish I had a better answer than this. I think, <laughs> I, I think the main reason I chose to do what I did was pure survival at that point. I mean, to your point and what I've said, I didn't have any exit strategy. I just sort of made a decision based on reaching kind of a critical mass of displeasure at the previous firm where I said, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And the nature of that work at that large firm is I either had to make a decision to pull the parachute and jump ship or spend a whole bunch of time trying to sneak around and interview at other firms and with other attorneys and try to do contract work. And I just, I literally didn't have the time or the opportunities to kind of go down that path either. And, and who knows how long that would have taken. Could have taken a month, six months, a year, who knows. So when I made the decision to leave that firm and then again just sort of land on my feet and try to get things going in a way that would produce enough income to support me and my family and, and our expenses and all that, I didn't really have time or an opportunity to find a partner or hire an associate or even find a good paralegal or, or legal assistant that could help at that point. Uh, and I guess as time went by, you know, I, I certainly could have done a lot of the standard things that people do, like hire an, an assistant or a secretary or, you know, find an associate or a contract attorney to help. I just think at that point and as time went on, and the other part of it too is I, uh, at that time, Thomas was still using actually the office space that we're in now. He's since mm -hmm. vacated. I've now taken over this office space. But at that time, I didn't have an office space either. And I didn't know, you know, in theory, am I going to find a paralegal who work from home and I'll work from home? And how do you make that work? So in my mind, there were enough kind of survival based obstacles to me doing anything but just being purely solo at that point. And then as enough time went by and I was able to not only survive, but really thrive and do well at it, then you get to a point, well, if I can do all this and still have a personal life and not be totally burned out, why do I want to then write? three, four, five thousand bucks to somebody else if I can just do the work myself and keep it myself. Now, that calculation has changed over the last several months as the volume <laughs> sort of, you know, ebbed and flowed and we're in a different position now uh, than we were then because of some county shifting and things like that, which we'll talk about. 
But that at least was the initial analysis, for lack of a better word. It really, really wasn't a whole lot of analysis, but that's, that was the thinking going into it. Hmm. Yeah. And so at the time, so you didn't have office space. So you can just talk about how you were making it work as a solo without an office space. At what point you then got the office space. Um, and so for solos that, you know, maybe you're just coming out of law school or transitioning away from a firm, you know, how they can maybe manage it a little bit in the meantime and kind of get their feet right. Because I think what you, the decisions you make were completely understandable given your situation. You know, coming from a firm, didn't want to deal with, you know, managing a lot of people. Obviously, you were feeling constricted from that. And also, you didn't have office space. So, you don't want to take on more overhead than you, you know, you're confident that you can cover, mm-hmm. right? And so, you, you, you want to run kind of a lean ship, right, at the beginning and make sure you've got your bases covered, then make those next steps. So, could you maybe walk through like, okay, I was a solo, I didn't have office. Take us through the steps you followed to then get the office space and, and, and maybe arrive to where we're eventually arrived where we're going here. Sure. So I think in March of 2017, so maybe two, three months before I decided to leave that firm, uh, my wife and I, and this is another testament to how crazy and and out of my mind potentially I was when I left that firm, we bought a new house that was sort of an upgrade on the house we had before. Uh, And one of the features of this house was I had a home office. And so Mm. it really appealed to me to actually be able to work from home as much as I could and just kind of wake up and roll into the office and work on my own time and all that. So less that appealed traffic. to me. Yeah. Exactly, a lot less <laughs> traffic. So that was part of the decision. I also, another bit of context, I guess, is when Thomas and I were still Howry and Wilkinson before I left that to join the large firm, we signed a five-year lease on the current office space that I'm operating out of that we're doing this broadcast from. And uh, when I left, I still helped out from time to time with the rent, Thomas was primarily in charge of that just because he was using the space and using all the office space he ran, including this conference room that we're in today. Uh, But when I came back and started going solo again, he was still here using Mm -hmm. this space. Uh, So, and I was, again, still kind of helping pay that rent. So it didn't make sense. Again, like you said, from an overhead standpoint, I don't know what client's going to come in the door tomorrow. I don't know what expenses I can meet. I'm already paying this mortgage. I might as well use that primarily as my office space. And then what I started to do with him is just say, hey, from time to time, could I come back into the conference room uh, as long as you're not using it and use this to meet clients and potential clients? Eventually, as you know, when he transitioned out of not only family law, but out of this office space, I then kind of came in and took over. Uh, I still work from home primarily, uh, but I do use this space to meet clients and potential clients. And I also, as you saw, sublease out the actual office space Uh, to other practicing attorneys. Now, I I will say to kind of get to your point about for people that are deciding to go solo or make that transition, how do you find space that'll work for you? Not everybody can. Or what point do you even make that decision? Obviously, you get a certain amount of clients. How were you doing when you're working from home? Did you meet people at coffee shops? Were you going into co-working spaces? I mean, Yeah, so I'd met people from time to time at coffee shops or, you know, if they had an office we could use. And I mean, inevitably, you have enough people that are like, are you really a legitimate you know, lawyer that you're meeting me at a Starbucks in the afternoon? I mean, maybe if I was 30 years in and they're thinking, this is kind of cool that he's leaving the office to go do this, but not as somebody who looks a little bit younger and, and all that. It looks like I don't, I don't know what I'm doing or don't have an established practice, which in some ways I didn't, I guess. Uh, but it just got to a point where I realized for, even if for nothing more than just appearance purposes. Mm -hmm. I needed a professional place that was consistent that people could come to and meet with me at. 
Uh, and it's a shame you can't see kind of the whole setup here because it's a nice sort of wraparound conference room space with a lot of natural light and looks out on a nice highway and all that to the extent a highway can be nice. <laughs> um, but it's a great space yes, to meet clients and potential is. clients. And again, Thomas at the time was generous enough to, you know, just be a good friend and a good former business partner and say, sure, you can use it whenever you want. And then when he transitioned out of it, then it really became my primary place to meet clients and potential clients. My situation is unique in the sense that I always sort of had that home office there as a way to just do work at home. Uh, I had this space available to meet clients and potential clients. Um, this lease actually ends in April of 2019. And so what I've already started to look looking into doing, which I would really recommend to other solos uh, who don't have that sort of unique home office, this kind of setup, is there are a number of places like Regis mm -hmm. from Meridian uh, that offer kind of a, you can pay just a regular normal monthly fee. You can either have an actual work office space or not. Uh, but typically one of the benefits is they have a conference room like this that you can share with other attorneys. You can book it as you need it. They give you a certain package of hours. And it's a way to not have to invest a ton of overhead in an exclusive space, but have all the amenities and the things that you would need to run a successful practice. And the last thing I'll say too is, which we were commenting on before we started, with all the technology and apps and everything that exists now, you really can be a full functioning, efficient, productive solo practitioner uh, without a whole lot of you know, necessity for a big sprawling office space that you own exclusively, whether it's Dropbox on your phone, Clio, Google Voice, any of the other apps, Calendly, you know, things that will help you with your practice. So I would just encourage people to be as creative as they can be about finding space understanding there are a variety of different options out there. And then with all the technology that exists, that can only further maximize what you can get out of any particular office space. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we can maybe unpack some of those tools that you've implemented that have made a pretty big difference in the way in which you do every initial consultation and how you book people and, and all these types of things, Calendly being one of them and, and practice management software. Um, so we can do that. We'll maybe cover that towards the end. Um, what I'd love to do is just kind of bring us up to date because you obviously were running, working from this conference room. Um, we started to explore a little bit about contract lawyers and starting to figure out a way to handle this volume because, you know, as a business grows, you get more referrals. You, you know, obviously with our lead generation continuing to ramp up, you know, uh, as it does. Uh, so take us through where things are at, you know, in the last, you know, maybe a couple months and, and some of the decisions you're now making and some of the relationships you're now forging and what was it that uh, made you want to search a switch? I mean, obviously the volume being one of them, of course, um, and that may be the main one. So uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, what that next stage is. So, you know, as you started running for a solo for a long time and now you're starting to consider working, uh, getting some of the work off your plate. Sure. So, you know, you and I have kind of joked that the, the nature of the leads is it's either feast or famine in some ways. You know, there's never a consistent sweet spot where you're like, okay, day to day, this is perfect, you know, right? Um, and, and so over the last year and a half, there have been different versions where I started out with Dallas and all these counties exclusively. I reached out to you. I said, it's, it's too much. I can't continue to do this in a way that makes sense. I think you brought on at that point uh, – Elise Wolfel in, in Collin County, who split some of the Collin leads. Uh, I think she's still there. Yep. Uh, there was another uh, Dallas attorney who helped split the Dallas volume. Yep. Uh, I may still be exclusive in Rockwall. I can't recall. Uh, I think I, I didn't do Tarrant at that point because mm -hmm. Fort Worth for my office location is a little bit too far. It didn't make sense. 
Um, but it almost got to a point where, you know, went a little bit too far, maybe in the other direction. And so I reached out to you, you know, the last handful of months and said, uh, I love the work that I'm able to do uh, with the clients that come through your service. You know, is there a way that I could maybe expand out to Denton County, for mm -hmm. example, which is in sort of the north west part of the Dallas Fort Worth area uh, and just kind of tinker with some of those relationships. And ultimately, it's at a point now where I may be exclusively in Denton, uh, I think. Yep. Dallas, I believe, is between one provider and me. Collins, same thing. Still have Rockwall. And I'm getting probably, I mean, today was kind of nutty, as you know, but, but generally it's probably four to six to seven leads per day, uh, which for a time was great, you know, but again, as you know, and as we talked about, it gets to a point where when the volume is okay for a while, inevitably you start to fill your plate more and more to the point where now it's at the point where somebody calls me today and I look at my calendar and I'm setting an appointment for today's Monday. I'm setting an appointment for Friday. Yep. Because I've got a hearing tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, appointments in the morning on Wednesday, you know, today's Monday again, basically just book solid because of all the work that's kind of come in the last couple months, right? And so you get to a point where you don't want to decrease the volume. You want to continue being able to help people in a way that we're committed to helping people. And so what I've been doing uh, is reaching out to other attorneys that I know and that I trust to say, would you be willing to come on board you know, commit to serving people in the way that Unbundled is committed to serving people. Uh, and I'll handle kind of all the administrative, logistical stuff about billing and practice management and all that. You have the opportunity to get essentially clients handed to you. You practice law and that's really all you do. Mm -hmm. And so the benefit of that, you know, I mean, frankly, there's a financial incentive for me to do it because, yep. you know, that's passive money in my pocket. Essentially. Leveraged income. That's right. right? Uh, there's a benefit to them because it's work that they can do that fits the unbundled model. And then there's sort of the global benefit of that's more clients that are being served in the way that we're committed to as unbundled provider attorneys. So it's really a win-win. Uh, I'm still sort of in the interview decision-making phase. Mm -hmm. I've had a number of calls over the last week or so. Uh, but it's getting to a point where, you know, again, with, with I, I think literally I've gotten about 10 leads that have come in today and it's just now about seven o'clock in the evening. I'll probably get another one or two tonight. And if I have a good call later tonight with somebody and also with the other person I spoke with this morning, they're ready to set up to take clients now, you know, and that's, those are people that can be served that I, at this point may not even be able to serve this week. That would just get passed on to who knows who yep. at that point forward. So it's been an evolution, but a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it at each stage in the game, there's there's new decisions that have to be made, and that's just the process of building a firm. I mean, of course, and it's not just our lead generation. You know, the more clients you serve, the more clients they're referring you. You get you know get a reputation going, and you know, get all different kinds of sources. And at each different level, there's there's new challenges in order if you want to be able to continue to, like you said, be the one to serve those clients and ensure that they're receiving the you know the the, the types of service options that that we that we provide. Uh, that might actually be a good a good point for you. Maybe if you uh, if you could. Um, verbalize or share, you know, what your vision of what unbundled services commitment is, um, how you've integrated that in your practice, some of the service options you offer um, that, you know, when you're going to be hiring a contract lawyer, this is the types of things that you, these lawyers would have to be want to be a part of in order to work with you and your firm. Sure. So I think one of the stories that I told you when I was leaving that large firm and going back to being solo at the time was the story of somebody who literally had a no child minimal property agreed divorce 
that I represented that the client was handed to me by a partner at the large firm. And I had to do a little bit of legal research on the case, draft some pleadings, eventually, you know, walk them to court to get the divorce finalized. At my current firm, you know, as a solo, that type of work would, could potentially be less than $1,000 total, you know, maybe a little bit more just depending, um, you know, and that could be unbundled, could certainly be an hourly rate retainer deal. It just sort of depends. Uh, at that firm, I think the final bill for their case, because partners were involved, I was involved, there was overbilling that occurred on the partner side, it ended up costing that person, I think, over $7,000 for an agreed divorce. Again, no children, no appreciable property to divide or split. Uh, And a marriage, I think, literally, that was maybe a year and a half old, you know? And I was personally put off by that, and I had to try to put on a good face to the person and justify what the costs were, but even then, I was sort of conceding, this is ridiculous, you know? So what I see the benefit of unbundled attorney being and being a provider attorney as part of that is, and especially as a solo too in some ways, is when somebody contacts me and you get a sense for, even if you don't get a sense for what their income is, because frankly it really shouldn't matter, being able to offer them a whole range of options and opportunities for, I can charge you a flat fee for this or that, I can charge you by the hour and do a regular retainer if you feel that's more appropriate, Whatever the case may be, the fact that I and other unbundled attorney uh, attorneys are willing to look at any scenario and say, instead of, unless you can pay me $10,000 today, I can't help you call somebody else. It's, what can you do? Yeah. And how can I match my services up to what you can do in a way that makes sense for you and me? Right. So that's really the literal opportunity uh and what i do with any initial telephone consultation and then later when i meet somebody if they come into the office is run through the pros and cons of both sides of it run through their budget and their finances and what they're comfortable spending and then being as creative and open as i can be to meeting their goals both on a legal side and also on a financial side right and the last thing i'll say about it is you know, if anyone, and I encourage every potential client to do this, to Google my name, read my client reviews. I literally, over the course of my solo career, uh, and when I was with Thomas at that previous firm, have never had a single person complain about a bill, about a charge, contest anything. Mm-hmm. And I've represented hundreds of people over that time. Uh, and all the reviews that you find online for me are all five-star reviews. And it's not, I don't manipulate that. That's just what people have left. I've literally never gotten a bad review at the risk of jinxing myself. Yeah. But the, yeah, knock on fake wood. Um, but the, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that if you're willing to be creative and flexible about how you offer your services, if you're willing to meet their budget and expectations with your services, then there's never going to be a time where they feel like they're being taken advantage advantage of or, or manipulated in some way because the conversation at the very beginning starts with, what do you want? What can you afford and how can I meet that? Rather yes. than pay me ten grand and the next thing they know they're getting a thirty thousand dollar bill that doesn't make any sense. Yes. So Right. So maybe it would be helpful if you could um, unpack some of those service options that maybe attorneys uh, either have a little bit of experience using or maybe, you know, this might be the first time that they're hearing about unbundled services and maybe they had a traditional big full first service law firm, full service retainer, and that was it. And so this could be an opportunity for them to start to explore some new different kind of options they could offer so that they could tailor the amount of service they're providing to their budget um, and be able to meet meet people's needs you know more affordably so maybe you could unpack a little bit about you know the, the suite of options that you could potentially offer and and again that's kind of evolved 
over the course of the years we've worked together and all the different conversations we've had. So um, maybe maybe you could even you know start a little bit with what you used to, what you started offering and then some of the things you've developed over the years and how that's how that's helped. So yeah, well, I guess maybe a good way to try and explain it and. If ultimately you want some more information than this, let me know. But sure. a, a good example of it is a guy that I've told you about that I represent now fully in a divorce in Collin County that has both children and property. He started out kind of a classic scenario where he told me up front he doesn't trust attorneys. Mm -hmm. He has the money to pay a full retainer but didn't want to necessarily do it. Uh, felt that he was smart and diligent and productive enough that he could kind of do some work himself and research some things himself and we could sort of be a, a, a partnership in that way, uh, but felt more comfortable at the time, both financially and also practically, really representing himself in court uh, and having me do kind of on a case-by-case -case basis some unbundled options. So, yes. for example, what I did for him was... Uh, his case was filed, I think, in spring of this year. The judge set a very quick trial date just a couple of months after filing. And he wanted to get a continuance on the trial date, get it pushed back some, and have the judge order some other things as it relates to the case. So I charged him a, a relatively low flat fee to prepare the paperwork for him, file it for him, meet with him in advance of the hearing and kind of advise him, okay, you're going to go to court. Here's how you introduce this kind of evidence in Texas. Here's how you make this sort of legal argument. If you want a witness to appear, they don't want to come. Here's how you subpoena them. Here's how this particular judge likes to hear and consider certain things and really just prepare him to go to court and be fully armed in a way that, you know, without any sort of help, he'd be, you know, kind of swimming without a life raft, I guess. So, and I did a number of different things for him like that, whether it was drafting discovery for him later, responding to discovery for him when it was served on him, doing some other pleadings along the way. And ultimately, he got to a point where he came to me one day and said, you know, you've, you've so impressed me not only with the quality of work that you've done, but the fact that you were willing to do that at first yeah. and be creative in that way and trust that I'm not going to screw up the advice that you've given me and trust that I can go to court and kind of execute this in a way that I think makes sense. So he came back to me and ended up hiring me fully and paying mm -hmm. a retainer and billing by the hour. And still has continued to be impressed with how respectful I am with his time and his money and all that. So, uh, you know, I've got kind of in my own practice, my own sort of list of things that I offer on an unbundled basis. And I guess to further kind of clarify, I do it really one of two ways. And Texas is a, is a difficult state, as you know, for unbundled because most judges, if not all judges, expect that when you get on a case and your name is on the pleading and your law firm's associated with it, that you're on the case until either you go through the whole hassle of a withdrawal process, a formal withdrawal process, or the case ends. Right. Right. So what I either have to do is do unbundled, kind of paired with a motion to withdraw and an order already signed by the client approving the withdrawal if things get out of hand and they don't want to continue to pay for it, or I stay officially out of the case mm -hmm. and I kind of advise them and do paperwork and documentation behind the scenes. Yes. And that works really well. And, and literally... The sky's the limit as far as how far you can break down your practice into all its different components and the different services that you can offer. Uh, one thing that I'll say, and I'm happy to go into whatever detail you'd like, but one thing that I remember you telling me when we were talking about how to further break it down to, into all its different components is my initial pricing on that and my thought process was, okay, if I look at how many hours it would take me to do X, yes, I'll then multiply that by my hourly rate and that's what I'll charge the person. And you came back to me and you said, well, that's fair. That's fine. But 
also recognize that there's a premium in the fact that you're offering that in a way that nine plus out of 10 other attorneys are not going to. Mm -hmm. And so you can bump it up a little bit because that's, you're offering them a benefit that many other attorneys are not going to. Yes. And ultimately, even if you do bump it up a bit, it's still far less expensive than a lot of other attorneys would charge for the same thing under a traditional expensive retainer hourly rate, hourly rate model. So uh, to that point, you know, if I was going to charge X for a pleading that would take, I think, about an hour, maybe I charge the equivalent of an hour and a half's worth of time, mm -hmm. you know, again, because I'm providing the benefit and the service. Uh, so that's kind of how I approach it now as far as how I price it, what I offer. And again, you can break it down as far as you want to go as, you know, in terms of what your particular state's litigation models offer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what would be helpful is we can pack, unpack an example of what something you would literally look at and do the hours of. And, and then, you know, it is important because that we, rec that we kind of flesh out this idea of like, well, is unbundled mean, okay, if something takes me three hours to do, then I just charge them three hours times my hourly rate. Right. And then there is the money that what I charge. Right. But the reality is, like you said, maybe one or 2% of attorneys on a whole are offering unbundled legal services and are willing to give someone a service in a family law case that's contested. Right. That costs anywhere from $300, $400 up to 1000 Anything less than twenty five hundred or two thousand, right? Even the new solos, if they're doing four representation, would be fifteen hundred to two thousand, right? So to be offering a service option that's five hundred dollars, seven hundred, you know, a thousand, you know, whatever it might be, you know, it, it's such a, you know, and I'm sure the clients respond that way, right? They're like, well, yeah, of course I can fit that in my budget. That sounds great. And if we could do this, this, and this, would that work for you? Yeah, that would work for me, man. Like I wish I found you a long time ago because that really isn't, uh, and there. You know, it really isn't available. And there's, you know, obviously hundreds, if not thousands of clients out there that need that service that are otherwise going unrepresented because they just don't even have access to it, don't even know it's available, right? Right. And so to them, they feel very appreciative that there's even an attorney that's willing to work with them and provide them advice, help with their documents, getting them through the process uh, at a rate that is roughly about a fifth of what most attorneys would charge as a starting retainer. Um, and so that's a value. That's a value in the sense that you're open and willing. And also, you've gone through the process to understand, okay, how do I do a limited scope retainer agreement? What are the ways in which I can structure it? What are the different service options I can provide? Like, there's a whole process to figuring out, okay, how do I deliver it, right? And then, so, so that's just a great benefit just to be open and willing and figuring out, okay, what do I need to do to effectively and ethically deliver this? And so, there's that piece. So, that's a value to the client. And then, as far as your building of it, the other piece of it is, okay, well, does it have to take me three hours to do it, right? Because when you're doing a traditional hourly model, is there a benefit really to becoming more efficient? Not really, right? I mean, it's just like, well, you know, you kind of, you know, from an integrity standpoint, yes. If I can do this faster, ought I? Yes, you probably ought to, right? You don't want to waste the client's money. And that's something obviously you believe in wholeheartedly, but you know, as, as a running a for-profit business, it doesn't inherently necessarily have a benefit to do so, right? Whereas if you're offering, you know, unbundled services on a flat rate, and let's say you do the math on it, your hourly rate's 250 an hour, usually be 750. You add in a bit of a premium, maybe you charge 850, right? Or 900 for delivering the document services, advising, the, you know, whatever the package is. And we can talk about a few different ones. 
what if there was a way where you could, you know, automate some of the document preparation or you could hire a paralegal and the value of 950 to a client is still what it is, right? They're really stoked about that. And they're receiving a service that 95%, 98% of attorneys wouldn't be able to provide them. And the only other option is they have to do it themselves. So they're obviously happy. That's, that's a great value to the client. Now the question is, does it have to take three hours, right? And are there ways in which we could streamline, automate the process, as far as the things that have to happen over and over again for every family law case in every different situation, you know, the intake procedure, the the implement the data entry of the that case information into the documents, who's going to prepare it? Are you going to review it, right? And using a paralegal support staff doesn't necessarily cost as much as if you do, right? So there's a lot of things that can be done there where now for 950, what if we could change that to instead of taking three hours, now it's two hours or one hour, right? Now the effective hourly rate starts to change. And so these are the opportunities that Unbundle presents um, and rightfully so, right? Rightfully so that the attorney should benefit from that. So maybe you could talk just a little bit about, um, maybe give a couple of examples and maybe some things you've done to become more efficient now that you have, you know, a more clear incentive to do so uh, in ways that uh, have worked well for you. Sure. So the easiest example that I have of that is uh, usually an agreed usually an agreed divorce scenario where somebody comes to me and either they have children and property or they don't have kids but property or they don't have either, right? Uh, but they know that they've worked out all the terms with their spouse. They're both on board with the divorce. They don't want to spend a whole bunch on going to court or even mediation. And they come to me and they say, here are the terms of our agreement. Can you help me with the paperwork and ultimately going to court? In Texas, you have to show up in court at the end of the process to appear in front of the judge, run through a series of yes, no questions, have the judge grant the divorce and sign the decree. So under that scenario, what I've, what I've managed to do as a way to illustrate this is I, I typically charge anywhere from a flat fee of uh, kind of on the low end, 1000 on the high end, maybe up to 1500 That typically includes the filing fee, which can be 300 to 350 that the county collects when you file for divorce. Uh, there's no service fee to have them literally serve because usually they're signing a waiver. It's like a waiver divorce. Uh, and what that includes is all the paperwork from start to finish, the initial divorce petition, the divorce decree, and any closing documents. Uh, and then also my time uh, going to court with them at the end of it to, again, prove up the divorce in front of the judge. What I do is, even though I don't have a full-time paralegal or assistant or another contract attorney at this point, I do have a virtual paralegal who works for a number of other attorneys in the area who does most of my paperwork, including initial divorce petitions and divorce decrees and closing documents. And so under that scenario, what I do is I pitch the flat fee unbundled service that's cost controlled, mm-hmm. that's far less than a large retainer that they would pay for most other or at most other firms. And uh, I then farm the literal work out to the virtual paralegal who literally charges me $19 an hour to do that. And of course I review everything and I, I know she's got 25 years experience doing all this. She has all the right forms. I review it as a quality control check at the end. But I say over the course of each particular agreed divorce case, maybe I spend at most an hour's worth of my attorney time reviewing documents and going to court with them. But if you're making three to four hours worth, uh, in profit, it makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. And again, to your point, they're getting good quality work that's being checked and managed by an attorney. They're getting a financial benefit and a service that gets them from start to finish without having to pay a lot more. Uh, and then on the attorney provider side, you're getting the financial benefit too of knowing that 
you're committing a minimal but good amount of time on something, but realizing more profit as a result of how you're handling it. Right. Yeah, this is this is so important, I think, for attorneys to to recognize and understand. Uh, because a lot of attorneys think, well, if you do unbundled legal services, you're helping, you know, lower income people, you're gonna make less money. Right. And that's like second rate, low class, and you can't build necessarily a very profitable business doing that, right? And that's that's it's a myth that we've you know, it's been like a mission in a sense with the podcast and all these different examples to dispel because it's just absolutely not true, right? Because you take that same client and how long did it take used to take you if you didn't have the virtual paralegal? Maybe was it two, three hours, something like that to do the same thing if you were doing it all? Sometimes more because I, I don't have, I've never really taken the time to get acquainted with some of the uh, document building software that she uses. Yeah. So I would literally start with a by scratch divorce decree Yes. Which in Texas, if you have children and property, can end up being 40 to 50 to 60 pages long and just craft the whole thing from start to finish. So sometimes those could take five, six, seven hours, depending mm-hmm. on how you know complicated it would be. So I probably a lot of attorneys charge two, three grand for that same right. thing. Yeah. Because right? they're looking at it and it's like, hey, I'm three hundred dollars an hour. It's gonna take me about six hours. So, you know, eighteen hundred, two thousand, twenty five hundred for a little bit extra just to make sure if they're doing it as a flat rate. Right. Right. Okay. So now because of the fact you've leveraged a little bit and you're doing it as a flat rate, um, you're charging about a thousand, fifteen hundred or so. Right. And with a virtual paralegal, um, how much does she usually charge for you to draft that for you? So usually- I'd say the total twenty to forty dollars. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And so thousand, fifteen hundred, you put in about an hour or two, usually of your own attorney time, to make sure. Does that include the consultation? Does that include the the initial setup and so forth, the intake? So. I offer them one of two options and and I should sort of go into a point because you mentioned this before, you know, making sure that you're doing unbundled and limited scope representation ethically in a way that not only protects the client, but protects you too, right? Yes. Uh, both ethically and also practically because what you don't want is any sort of misunderstanding later in the case about what you're, what you're actually agreeing to do mm-hmm. uh, and, and the scope of your representation. So what I offer at the outset is really two options. I can say... I'm happy to do a an essentially document-based final court appearance type model where you're not getting legal advice from me, you're giving me your agreement, I'm kind of handling all the logistics to get you from start to finish and get you divorced. I can offer legal advice, I can offer a whole host of other services in the event this becomes contested and breaks down, but that's a different agreement and different compensation, right? Mm-hmm. So as you know, the two different types of things I offer any potential client that comes in the door is an initial free phone consultation mm-hmm. followed by a $200 paid consultation for an hour in my office if they want it. Under the agreed divorce scenario that I'm describing, for their convenience and their budget, what I say is I can email you an employment agreement that's clear that protects you and me. I can email you an intake form that you can fill out and get back to me. Here's a website through LawPay that you can use to make your debit or credit card payment. In other words, we never have to meet. You never have to take time out of your busy day to come sit with me in my office. I don't have to take up that time you know, to meet with you. If you want to have an hour-long consultation and get all the advice in the world so you can then have a productive conversation with your spouse about kid issues and property issues and how to divide everything, I'm happy to. But that's the additional $200 consultation fee, right? So the point of it is that... Uh, I really offer both options. They can just pay the flat fee, get divorced from start to finish, they give me their agreement, or I can do all that 
plus the $200 consultation and still make some more money off that time as well. Right. Okay. So in the event, so if they come in, they pay the extra 200, that's a separate thing. Right. But for the document preparation, for the, the uncontested divorce, 1,500, um, if they do it online, it's about an hour or two of your time, roughly. Right. Okay. So your typical hourly rate is two seventy five. Two seventy five. Okay. So your effective hourly rate when providing it this type of leverage, you know, unbundled document services for the uncontested divorce. Uh, so it's about an hour or two of time. You're collecting about a thousand fifteen hundred. It's about a thousand to about seven hundred fifty. Well, if it's a thousand, so it'd be five hundred to seven fifty an hour. Right. Right. So it's almost two or three times that to deliver a service that 95% of other lawyers wouldn't necessarily deliver at that price point. But your effective hourly rate is two or three times what you would normally make on a full service retainer of $10,000 up front. Right. Right. And are there a lot of clients that would be pretty happy to receive services for, for these rates? I mean, yeah, of course there is. Right. So it's an entirely new way of looking at the marketplace and so forth that uh, has worked well. But this is a really easy example, right? It's an uncontested divorce. I mean, any attorney can do an uncontested divorce unbundled. I, I would like to talk about a contested issue because a lot of attorneys won't look at a contested. Maybe we could cover, you know, ethics uh, and in doing this unbundled services or these types of options, Texas being one of the most conservative states, we're, we're doing, we're going to have a number of attorneys coming on the podcast in Texas because we're doing kind of a Texas swing. So we're going to be talking about this a lot, but maybe, you know, we mentioned that briefly, like how do you protect yourself? How do you make sure um, let's talk about contested. And you, just like that client you gave it as an example, he was dealing with a contested matter. You're helping him with pleadings. You're doing responses. You're advising. Um, how would you go about delivering, you know, the unbundled services within that frame, both protecting your 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 firm as well, and 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 for the for the client's sake. Sure. So, from my perspective, what I try to do again to protect the client, to protect me, to make sure there's no miscommunication or. or ambiguity going forward is to be very clear in a written employment agreement right at the outset of exactly what I'm agreeing to do and also what I'm not agreeing to do. Yes, right. Uh, you have to be abundantly clear, even if it, even if you feel like it's going to put them off, you know, as far as saying, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not, you know, blah, blah, blah. It just behooves you, again, on both sides of it for you to be totally clear about what the employment agreement actually is. Uh, and also feeling totally comfortable if they start trying to take advantage of it at some point down the road and ping you with this or want to know this or want you to do that for, for extra for free, respecting yourself and your practice and saying, I'm happy to do whatever you'd like me to do. But, you know, I'll remind you that the employment agreement said X. And so yes. either we stick with that or I'm happy to prepare a new subsequent agreement that covers what you'd like me to do. Yes. So setting boundaries, in other words, yeah, from the outset and also you know, enforcing the boundaries right courteously and respectfully but yeah this is the line that was drawn we were clear on this line at the beginning and if you'd like me to step you know you're obviously open and willing to provide the services but this is the original agreement let's create a new one right let's, or let's modify our current limited scope retain agreement right right and i would say out of the people that have come to me and said can you do x and maybe don't think about offering something additional for that. And then I come back and I say, well, I'm happy to, but it would be, it would cost X, Y, and Z. Nine times out of 10, they pay for that additional service because right. they want it. And again, it's the cost is still reasonable. It's affordable. And, and why wouldn't they? So, but that's what I do at the very beginning is I, I craft a very specific employment agreement 
that has all the standard language in there that all my full retainer agreements have, all the basics that you want, but it's very clear about for a flat fee of X, I'm agreeing to do A, B, and C. Yes. And then I'm not agreeing to do whatever else that most commonly may come with representation. Like, for example, if it is the behind-the-scenes representation, that I'm not agreeing to become attorney of record in the case. Uh, or if I am attorney of record and the case goes in a direction where certain things happen that you either can't or don't want to pay for, mm. then you're agreeing to have me submit this agreed motion in order for withdrawal so that I can efficiently get out of the case. And, and ultimately, look, I mean, if they've paid for things that haven't happened yet, but the case sort of goes off the rails and they can't or don't want to pay for you to continue to stay on under that model, then maybe you do refund some of the money, you know, to be respectful and ethical of their time and their money too. But the point of all that is you really have to think through and be careful about being clear about what the relationship is at the outset because it only creates problems down the road if you don't. Yes. And what we're talking about here is the two planes of unbundling, which we, which Anthony Sanders, when we were at the, the retreat, obviously unpacked this, you know, in, in, in depth. But I don't think we really talked about it that much on the podcast. So, um, horizontal plane being a, a timeline of, uh, what's going to happen in the case, uh, as far as, you know, initial petition, then the, then the hearing, then if it becomes contested, it can go these different ways. And it's basically like a fork, like a tree of possibilities right, of what could happen, right? And it could remain uncontested or it could go uncontested and they could not respond or they could submit a response to that with additional terms or something. And then you need to go to a, you know, a hearing and, and if that doesn't, then you go to mediation. If that doesn't work right, there's all these different possibilities. And so you can help someone on the horizontal plane for A to this point, but then if it doesn't go this way, you know, then we'd have to come up with a new agreement, right? So you can limit the scope of involvement on the horizontal plane and provide unbundled services in the sense from I can do it from here to here, but if this scenario happens, then we need a new agreement, right? Because if this scenario happens, it becomes contested or this thing happens, then we might need to go to trial or we might have to do something that's way more complex, right? And so you don't necessarily have to make a decision of I need to provide for a presentation from A to Z in all scenarios, which would be the traditional form, right? You can cover some of the contingencies and offer something that's more affordable as long as you've been able to create an agreement with the client that says, if these things happen, then we would need a new agreement or otherwise I would have to be off. And that's why I can extend this flat rate that uh, is going to be a lot more affordable and it can fit in your budget, right? We have cover the contingency on the horizontal plane. And then you have the vertical plane, right? Which is at each phase of these steps, there's going to be a number of services that need to be performed. Who's going to provide these services? Are you going, if, if the client is empowered to do some of the work themselves, then that obviously is going to reduce the amount of billable time for that specific segment. So you've got, if we're looking at just the segment of B to C, okay, well, there's all these services that need to be done. If I do all of them for you, then it's going to cost just the usual hourly rate of me doing all the work for you. But let's say if you file the documents, you know, you prepare these things, you complete these questionnaires, or you do the X, Y, Z, um, or you go to court and I just advise you, and then you actually try to do the mediation yourself, right? You don't have to pay me to do those pieces of it. You don't have to pay me to go to mediation. That's going to reduce the cost, right? And so it creates a, like a whole, like a much more creative and solution-oriented 
thinking about how you can get someone from A to Z because what what happens most often when clients is they'll they'll start a case they'll kind of jump in the water and start helping them and then the person runs out of money and then basically is left there to drown right but if you can look it backwards and say well maybe we should have limited the scope earlier and looked at the the realistic budget of the client and not start on a pathway that ultimately the client could not afford to bring to fruition from the outset right right so it's these two planes that all of a sudden you can start to think on and and put into the employment agreement that makes sure that you can you know there's a meeting of the minds between you and the client on what you're providing what you're not at what phases and then if you have these assurances in the agreement and you have that agreement with the client it gives you a lot more flexibility to be able to craft something that's going to be a lot more tailored to their budget right is there a way you could give a, a an example of like you know, just to make it a little more real, like a contested case of, you know, well, I could offer this option, I could offer this, I could offer this, here would be different price points. Um, that's a little bit challenging, but can we think of like how you might think through ways in which you could help someone if they come to you with a contested custody matter or a visitation, certainly within the contested realm of different ways you could go depending on where people are at financially, right? Sure, yeah. So I guess a good example that comes to mind is there's a person who... Uh, went through a divorce about a year ago and mother of two children wife in the divorce obviously uh at the time sort of went has a bunch of family money has some personal money too and based on nothing than sort of prestige and reputation went with one of the largest firms in the dallas fort worth area who inevitably had a paralegal billing on her case an associate attorney billing on her case and a supervising partner billing on her case where the effective hourly rate she was paying when you add all three of those up, is anywhere from seven to nine hundred and fifty dollars, right? And got, and I want to say, spent fifty thousand plus on a divorce that lasted less than a year, that didn't really have a whole lot more than a hearing or two in mediation, right? Yeah. I don't even think they did discovery at any point. So she came to me after that whole process, and without getting into the details of the case and really what the issue was, there was just one sort of minor contested issue that the now mom and dad have a fundamental disagreement on that their divorce decree itself didn't really cover or, or plan for. So she said, I'm so burned by that experience with the endless retainer, endless invoices and billing, the overbilling that occurred. Can you come up with some flat fees and some limited scope ideas that will help me manage this case in a way that where you're fully representing me, I'm getting that benefit, but also helps me feel like I have some security and control, control. over, over yeah. how the cost goes. Because yeah. again, she felt totally out of control yes. and just bled to death at the previous firm. So I said, absolutely, you know, it's, it's what I do, it's what I've done for a number of years. And so at each phase of the case, and the case I've been representing her fully from start to now and it's still going forward, is at each phase of it, I just sit down and I say, okay, here's what you want to have happen next. How can I best get you there? And what can I charge you for that? Again, that respects my right and ability to make a living as an attorney uh, and also give you the control and the security that you want on the financial side of things. So to break it down even further, uh, what we had to do initially was prepare. Well, actually, what we had to do initially was go to mediation before we could even file anything. So that was easy. I just charged her a flat fee to propose mediation, go to mediation and handle that from start to finish. That's easy because that's one contained event. Okay, so then you create an agreement. I'm going to do these services for this phase. And that was it at that point, right? Correct. Oh. So what I what I literally did, because again, you want, 
And I can see how some attorneys that are not familiar with this concept may look at it and go, that's going to take me forever to sit down and think about, you know, what are all the different things that I can do in my practice, all the scenarios that can, I can, that can come up, what would I charge for each of those, how would I manage all that? But really, that's no different than having a potential client come in and sit with you and say, here's my case, what direction could that case go in? In your mind, you're thinking, well, you may go to mediation, you may have to do discovery, you may have to have a hearing. It's the same analysis, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that under Unbundled, you're assigning a price point to each of those events that you would still talk through with a client, yes. right? So it's the total same analysis that you would do. And it's the same events that are going to occur with client after client after client, right? So it's just a matter of taking the time once, yeah. right? And really figuring out how much does it, how, how long does it take me and what, what would be involved there? Right. And again, it's, it's all the things that inherently you learn how to do as an attorney under any sort of state litigation model. Here are all the tools and options available to you. You know all that if you've practiced for even a year or two at this point. So... I sat down with her and I, I said, okay, for mediation, I will charge you a flat fee of X. I can't recall what it was, but I'll charge you a flat fee of X. Um, I think I may have even broken the fee down into saying, you pay this amount. If we go to mediation and he doesn't show up, then I only keep, say, half of it. Okay. You know, because at that point, we're not spending the full day there. It's still a lost opportunity, a lost opportunity from a business perspective for me because I'm carving out some portion of that day, right? Yes. And I'm preparing and I'm going, but it's not fair for me to keep 100% of it if I'm not spending the whole day there. If he does show up, then I am entitled to keep the full percentage, you know, and then we go from there. So you try to be creative and flexible about respecting their budget, respecting your time, uh, making them feel like you're hearing their concerns and addressing them on the financial side of things. But that's what that agreement looked like. I'm agreeing to go to mediation, set it up, and then we'll figure out what the ultimate keep is depending on what happens at mediation. Okay. Uh, in that particular scenario, he did show up. We went to mediation, had a full session. I kept 100% of the fee. Uh, we didn't settle. And then we had to file and set a temporary orders hearing after that. So I then came up with basically a fee for that, filing the modification, having him served, paying the fee, and then covering my time preparing for and executing a temporary orders hearing. What then happened about a month- New agreement? New agreement, totally new agreement. Okay, yeah. Totally new agreement that she signed and I signed and kept on file separate and apart from the initial agreement. Okay. Also separate payment. Uh, between filing the modification and the hearing, uh, that side sort of unexpectedly served discovery. And discovery, as I'm sure you know, most, if not every attorney knows, is where you can request documents or answers or information from the other side mm -hmm. in anticipation or preparation for a hearing. So they served discovery. And at the time, I actually couldn't recall if our agreement covered discovery or not. So I went back and looked at the agreement, and it did not cover discovery. So I reached out to her, and I said, again, politely, you know, they've done this. We now have 30 days to respond pursuant to the rules. Uh, I'm happy to respond, and I, and I kind of have to, but here's the fee that I would charge for that because it wasn't contained in our original agreement. And she goes, absolutely, she paid the fee, and then I got right to work responding to the discovery. So kind of to your point about vertical and horizontal, something popped up that wasn't anticipated, but because I still offered the security and the flexibility of another limited scope thing, and again, mm -hmm. we crafted a new agreement for that discovery that was the third agreement now with a yeah. third compensation model, then it proceeded like that. Um, just to, to finish the point, you know, the hearing came and went. The case still goes on. We're now on our fourth 
agreement as we move toward us serving discovery and then moving toward a final trial. Mm. So it's taken on different aspects along the way. Uh, but again, I've made financially as much, if not potentially more, mm-hmm. doing it that model, as long as you're, again, respectful of the boundaries that you set, mm-hmm. not giving away your time for free, uh, and coming up with a price point that makes sense based on your experience and your time too. Right. Hey, can we, yeah, exactly. And and also if you're doing each step as a flat rate, you can build in a little buffer in the fact that you're open and willing to offer this that otherwise attorneys wouldn't. You know, you're not just taking a big time retainer up front. You're willing to work with her one phase at a time. That's a huge value. And then you can build in the the margins of efficiency that help with each phase in the process. So more than likely, you probably would be making more on these than if you were just doing them you know, full rep, I just bill you, that kind of thing, right? That if those if those things are in place. Um, let's run the scenario that let's just suppose that she couldn't, she didn't want you to do the 30-day, but you're attorney of record at this point or is it or not, right? So let's say she didn't want to respond to that or she didn't want to pay you for that. How does it work, right? Like, have you approached, have you uh, um, come across that? I mean, I know that doesn't happen very often, right? Where they're like, you're working with them unbundled and then all of a sudden they're like, well, no, I don't want you to do that part. I want to do it myself, right? Like, it's a good question. I will say, truthfully, I've not had a scenario where something has happened where you have to do something in response to it, like discovery, uh, and the person just flat out couldn't pay for it, couldn't afford it. I mean, I, I guess if I have to think, maybe there's been a time or two where somebody says, look, I'll, I'll pay you over time for that total cost, but I can't come up with all that now under that 30-day time frame. You sure. know, maybe they're stretched thin to that point. Uh, and I'm usually happy to do that because if at that point they paid for every previous agreement, I trust them at that point. They trust yep. me. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to give them a little bit of leeway at that point and say, sure, pay that out over time. I know you're good for it. I know you'll get there. I'm not going to risk you being sanctioned or, or literally legally hurt in the case because I can't, you know, I'm not willing to take anything but 100% today. Sure. So you just be a little bit more flexible with them at that point if you need to be. Um, and there's a, there's a bit of a tack, tick for tack there, right? I mean, it really needs to be as far as like, hey, there might be a scenario in which they need something done and, and you're doing things one phase at a time and you maybe say, okay, pay that over time or maybe something that happens there. But, you know, it's you've got all these margins of efficiency. I think that's, that's the piece that a lot of attorneys also don't take into account is like, how many more clients could you be providing services for if you weren't just offering 5,000 or 10,000 to start, right? It's, I think we, I remember when we were at the retreat, and I said, you know, think about all these different clients. How many of them would you have actually been working for? Would you have actually been able to help if you had been requiring 5000 up front and doing this? And like all the hands went down, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, and when we talk about, you know, attorneys making, ad- adapting and how many clients they would have had before, it's like, it's like five to 10 times more clients that they otherwise would be turning away, right? And so there's this huge upside of opportunity cost. And then an attorney might go, well, maybe, well, in that case, I might've had to do that for free or not get it paid up front. It's like, yeah. And, and, and that, unfortunately, I think what happens is a lot of, is it's really easy to, to, that, to become a stigma, right? Like, oh, I didn't get paid for that piece of it. You know, like, you know, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, right? Or, you know, we talk about payment plans. You know, a lot of attorneys offer, all, almost all of our attorneys offer payment plans. And they look at the one client that didn't pay them and they did some work and got, you know, ahead of the billing and then they got burned on that one, right? And it's like, ah, darn, I got burned. I don't want to do that ever again, right? Without necessarily looking at it from a strictly business perspective and go, well, look, I've brought on 50 more clients that I otherwise would have if I had been rigid with this Mm -hmm. this month, 
right? Or in the last six months, 50 more, right? This one client of those 50 burned me, which is the actual numbers when we really look at it. And I've interviewed a lot of attorneys on this podcast. It's like one out of 50, one out of 45, maybe, you know, something like that. It's like 5% burn you on the payment plan, right? Um, But there's all those clients that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to serve and you wouldn't have collected any money on. And when you look at advertising ROI, you're spending money on a billboard, you're spending money on bringing clients in, lead generation, whatever it might be, or on your website and SEO and all these separate things. You want to make sure every call that comes in, you're monetizing, right? And so uh, it's so easy, I think, to to look at it and go, oh, well, that was a loss there. But it isn't a loss, right, overall when we really look at it, right? Right. Right. And to further, I guess, reinforce that point, and what you mentioned a moment ago is when you do the hourly rate, you know, traditional retainer model, which I mean, again, you're not against necessarily some cases are better suited for that. Some people are willing to, you know, pay that and have you represent them that way. And they prefer that. Um, the point of this, of course, is to offer the whole spectrum of options and, and try to make, you know, your services fit what they really want, what their goals are. Um, but even under the uh, hourly rate retainer model, to your point, it's a one to one benefit for the attorney, right? You charge by the hour. And if you're billing ethically, of course, I mean, if you're padding it and overbilling, well, that's not ethical. That's not the point. But if you're like me and other provider attorneys that are being ethical, it's a one-to-one benefit. You do one hour's worth of work, you get paid for that hour. Yes. Under Unbundled, you can spend less time and make even more. Yes. Right? Right. And then you have the benefit of once the money is paid, it's there. Yes. You're not overbilling and chasing an invoice that you're lucky if they ever pay and, and spending you know quality uh, billable time trying to catch money that may or may not ever get paid. Yes. Right? Um, so there's a number of benefits that flow from this model. The other part that I, I also should mention too, from a protection standpoint, and I want to follow it up with the thought that I am flexible about this, of course, because you don't want to be this rigid, but, uh, on most of the unbundled services that I do, I at least put into the contract, the notion that once you make the payment, whatever it is, that it's non-refundable Yes. because what you don't want to do is create the scenario where, you know, they're. They want to quibble about this or that, or they don't like the outcome of the case or something, and they want to start demanding a refund, right? So you want to be clear at the beginning that it's a lost opportunity for me business-wise if I take your case and commit that time. Also, typically, once the work is done, I've already expended the time doing the work, mm-hmm. you know? And so you get paid for the work that you do. You don't get paid for the outcome, yes. right? And if people balk at it, which most people don't, you know, then I, I typically say, well, you're, you're welcome to research me, read my standing with the bar, read my client reviews, get a sense of how I work and how I operate, make sure that I am trustworthy and ethical. Uh, and also, you know, the reality is truthfully at the end of the day, if somebody really had a problem with something or if I made a big mistake, I'm not going to risk my law license and my reputation for a couple hundred bucks. I'll either give them back half or, or some portion of it or the whole thing if I really messed up and acknowledge that. But I also think, again, to set boundaries and to set expectations, they're paying for the work that you're providing, not for the outcome, right? Yes. And so I think you want to make it clear to the extent you're comfortable saying, when you pay this, for all these reasons, it's non-refundable at that point, right? you know? And again, that locks in the profit that you're making mm-hmm. and, and further reinforces the, the financial benefit of doing things in an unbundled way. Well, and that means that you don't, nec- you don't have an account receivable or outstanding receivables. Right. And from my understanding, I think account receivables for a traditional firm is like 70, 80%? Or, is it, or maybe it's the other way around? They, 
20 percent or something like that they oh they don't collect right so to give you an example the last firm that i was at i think they had a collection rate of maybe 65 to 75 percent and and again part of that is under the theory that mm. you bill twenty thousand dollars on an invoice knowing that really you've padded a third of that mm-hmm. so that if they pay half of the third it's bonus money right Whereas for me, you know, whether it's unbundled or even hourly rate retainer, literally I've got about a 97, 98% collection rate Wow. Uh, where I'm not spending valuable time chasing down money or invoices or trying to harass people, which again, all sort of, it leads to the next thing, right? It, it increases client confidence in you. Mm-hmm. It increases referrals to you. Yes. It increases good reviews and a good web presence. Uh, it increases the amount of time that you have to provide good services to people and make money that way. So you're right. I mean, it's money in the bank that you don't have to spend chasing. And then it has all those other benefits too. Right. Exactly. Um, so I would be remiss if we didn't touch a little bit on technology because things have evolved a little bit for you. Um, maybe you talk briefly about Calendly, a little bit of practice management software, um, and just how you've been able to build those efficiencies in. Uh, obviously, the virtual paralegal being a great find. Maybe you can talk about how you found, how found her and settled on a virtual paralegal Um because obviously, if you're going to start doing a lot more unbundled services on a flat rate or pays one task at a time, uh, it presents the opportunity. Like, how can we become more efficient? How can we find ways to uh, get these things done in faster periods of time? Because then you're, it's only going to increase your effective hourly rate at each phase of the process in a contested case or if you're doing each individual case as a flat rate. So um, what are some of the things that you've done to build in these efficiencies uh, like we've talked about? Sure. So... I guess I'll give I'll, I'll walk it through from an initial lead coming in and kind of how that goes over the course of a case if they hire me in some way. And I'll the caveat that I'll give is I'm not the most technically savant or uh, savvy or proficient person in the world. Uh, so certainly <laughs> I could be doing a lot more. But I think what I do do uh, is very easy that anyone else could do and also really benefits the practice. So here's the point ultimately. Uh, as a lead comes in, as you know, through Unbundled, you have the option to receive an email, a text message, really whatever form of communication you want. So that's, I, I have the whole, you know, range. Uh, as soon as somebody hits submit through Unbundled, I get the email, I get a text message on my phone. Uh, for my business phone line, I just use my cell phone, but I have Google Voice, right? So the text message comes through Google Voice. I have a voicemail set up, so if people call that number, it has a professional business sounding voicemail. Uh, if I happen to be busy either in court or mediation or some other commitment where I can't call them within the first five minutes, which as you know is critical to yes. you know converting those leads, then I text them and I email them in the first five minutes. And that's where Calendly comes in. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, it's spelled C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y. Yeah, Calendly. But drop the er, E-R and just put L-Y, yeah. Right, Calendly.com. And the great thing about that service is it's web-based. I think it costs me literally 15 bucks a month. And what I use it for are the 15-minute initial phone consultations that I do and also the paid hour-long in-office consultations. So if somebody contacts me through Unbundled, I get the text message, I text them and I say, my name is Clay Wilkinson, I'm a family lawyer. Uh, You found me through Unbundled Attorney. I can't talk right now, but I wanted to reach out to schedule a time to speak with me. Please visit this website. And then I copy and paste the 15-minute phone consult from Calendly into the text message and into the email. So hopefully either way they're getting it. And I swear, eight to nine times out of ten, I check my email within a few minutes and they booked a Calendly telephone consultation. 
And the way that it literally works is it syncs up to whatever calendar you use. I happen to use Google Calendar. It syncs up to that. And so it automatically knows the days and times that not only am I available, but that I want to be available for something like that. Yes. So you can make yourself available 24 hours a day if you want. You can make yourself available for, you know, certain days during Monday through Friday yep. or certain hours each day. Or Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 2 to 6. Right. right. And there's all these different windows that they can choose from, right? Yeah. And you can include uh, your own websites in the confirmation email that they get or, yeah, that they get once they book something. You can include questions that they have to answer as they're filling out their uh, appointment. Uh, and I would certainly encourage anybody who listens to this to go check it out and see how you can use it in your practice. But that's one way where it used to be before Calendly that I'd be in a meeting or a conference or a mediation or a hearing, somebody comes through, and then six hours later when I'm able to call them, they've long since either forgotten about me or moved on to somebody else or even hired somebody else. Yes. Whereas if they actually have a firm time, they know they're going to speak with an attorney, they tend to kind of hold off until they get the chance to speak with you. Yep. Because they're also getting the message through Unbundled that this is somebody who handles things differently than other attorneys. So why would I continue to search for somebody who's going to make me pay a five dollars to $10,000 retainer if I've got this guy who either later today or tomorrow or even the next day I can speak with? And at maybe a time that's convenient different. for them because they because you look at because when way calendar looks is they look you can see all the times that the, the attorney is available and then which you've specified in your calendar and if obviously if you have a conflict it doesn't show up right like if you've got a trial that time then that that you know as you book things in your calendar it also is also removed from Calendly so there isn't a conflict right so that's constantly updating and it looks at Google Calendar is there already an entry there. Yes, no. If there is already an entry there, then it doesn't show that option to the client, right? So they're choosing at their own convenience, but also can only select times that you are still available in your calendar and that you've specified that you choose to be available, right? Right. And even further, what you can do, especially on the ones where they're booking it themselves without any real input uh, from you, is you can say, for example, I don't want anybody to be able to book a back-to-back-to-back phone consult, three different people back-to-back-to-back. So I want a 15-minute buffer between each of those. You can set it up that way too. You can also set it up so that at various times before the meeting, they're getting a text message reminder of it, an email reminder of it, 24 hours before, an hour before, whatever the case may be. So it it is literally one of the best tools that I've implemented in my practice to make sure that from initial contact to possible hiring, that you're helping foster the uh, the conversion, mm-hmm. right? So Calendly is great. On the flip side of that, as far as the actual in-office consultation, what I do if I speak with them after or during the phone consult is I offer that option. If they want to come in for that paid consultation, what I do is I say, okay, I've got you on the phone right now. Uh, let's find a day and time that works for you and me. And then I go to the website myself at that point yep. and literally input all their information and book it myself so yes. that I don't leave it up to them to, to hopefully do it on their time. Uh, I take care of it myself. And then what I also make sure to do is as soon as I hit submit on the Calendly side, I say, can you check your phone right now? Make sure you got the confirmation email. Make sure it got directly to you. Because another feature of Calendly, not only do they get that confirmation email, which is important because it has all your address and contact information, your websites, et cetera, but they have the right, ability- Because you've configured that confirmation email to be like, here's the attorney's office information, here's his website, here's more information, read his reviews. Like you can do this, you've crafted this like custom email so they can do their research in the meantime and just get more clear about who you are, what you do and learn more about you and all that stuff. So they're going to get all that info. Right. 
And the other part of that email too, which I point out to them, because again, you want to be respectful of your time as an attorney and not have a bunch of no-shows and all that. So I say in that email, you have the option if you need to, to cancel or reschedule. And there's, there's a link in the website or in the email that you can do that. So that again, they click on that if they need to, something comes up, doctor's appointment, emergency, whatever, they can go back to the website through that email, see the subsequent days and times I'm available, and then rebook if they need to, right? So it's very self-sufficient. Uh, I've had plenty of people do that, and it's better than me because I work primarily from home, as you know. I just meet with clients in this office space. It's better than me coming to the office and they're not here, and I'm wondering where they are yes. if they have that option. So Calendly's been great on both the phone consult and the in-person uh, consultation as well. Uh, the other things that I use are very are pretty basic. There's a practice management software called Clio, yep. C-L-I-O, which I've used for years. It's always been great. It continues to improve. Uh, I'm not all that familiar with Lexicata, although for those that are, it's my understanding that Clio recently purchased Lexicata and is going to be integrating in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, I also use Dropbox for all of my uh, case files and, and things related to the practice of uh, running my business. Uh, and then again, I, I basically run my practice from either my laptop at home uh, or my iPhone. And I, you know, as you know, as we've talked about kind of personally off the broadcast, I travel, you know, as much as I can. And I, it's very easy for me on my iPhone to run a full law practice uh, if I'm out of town mm -hmm. using Calendly and Clio and Dropbox and Google Voice and all that. Yeah. So Just it's taking the calls, setting up the links. You've already got the template emails ready to go. It's all kind of configured in Calendly so you can book the appointments just fine. You can look up people's case records just by going in and logging into Clio and taking a look at what's going on. You can make notes and all that. Yeah. And also, you know, again, from time to time, people say, like, if I'm out of town, they want to do an hour-long consult with me, but I'm not back for another couple days. And they really want to meet with me then. I'm okay with spending that time at that point. You know, even something as simple as WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. You can do a video conference with them. You know, they can pay the fee for the consult online, send them a law pay link. You carve out an hour of your day, you do a phone consult, and then they hire you a couple days later when you get back in town. Yes. So there's a variety of different ways that, you know, even 5, 10, 15 years ago was just not available that allows you to be self-sufficient and productive and profitable now with all those options. Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, it's we're definitely in a new age as far as the types of tools that are available. Uh, I mean, if you can go to a legal conference right now, there's just lines of you know vendors providing all different kinds of suites of services and software to make your life more efficient and also to make it a lot easier for clients to move forward and retain you right i mean it's just and now with, you know, with law page just a click of a button here you know make make your payment you send a calendly they just click a button if they want to reschedule they can just do it right there with the right off their phone as well um so they don't have to call in your office you don't have to pay someone to answer that call you know, it's kind of a hassle for them to have to do that. So it makes it easy. Um, they can sign a retainer agreement, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the whole process of, of practicing becomes, you know, can be a lot more efficient. And then that obviously gives you the capacity to, you know, deliver these services more efficiently, less time. And obviously that's really conducive for unbundling and these types of things that we're talking about. So uh, it's almost like they really have to go together, right? You, it's, you could, you know, we still have a lot of lawyers that are pretty old school i you know i think we i shouldn't mention but <laughs> jerry i don't know if he listens to this but jerry sylvia i don't think he, he i think he has his sports staff print out all of his emails for him and then like does it all in favor and stuff so you can do it belly to belly you can do it hour by hour right sure. so it doesn't have to be super tech but um there are all these tools that you can take advantage of that make things a lot more efficient a lot more effective and help you keep on uh, keep up with the volume of clients that continues to pour on every day so 
thank you for your thoughts there. Um, before we wrap up, any, um, I guess what we could cover is just, you know, we've worked together for five, six years now. I mean, we've had a good, uh, quite the journey. Uh, anything you look back on that were, you know, important lessons that you learned or anything that would be worthy of mention, just given your experience of working with thousands of, of leads, you can take it any direction you want, but just anything that you've, you think would be valuable to share that just comes from, you know, the, the many years of, uh, working with clients in the way you do. I guess the thing that comes to mind is as a family law litigator in Texas, I'm in court easily at least three, four or five times a week, sometimes seven, eight, nine times a week in different hearings in different counties. And it doesn't matter what county you're in. Inevitably, you know, your hearings get set along or at the same time uh, with other cases, seven, eight other cases, right? And anywhere from a third to half of those cases are self-represented litigants, usually on both sides. You know, two pro se people having to fight about money and debt and kids and protective orders and all sorts of things. And inevitably, you know, you not only see judges get frustrated with that experience, you see people not getting the results that you know you could provide them if they either knew about Unbundled, uh, approached you about Unbundled, had more people that offered Unbundled services. And so what I, the lesson I think that I've learned is if you're willing to be creative and flexible and offer a full suite of options, unbundled, full representation, you know, a combination of all of that, you're able to reach a lot more people than otherwise would be able to get legal services and, and hopefully get a better outcome. And I think even studies have shown that, and I can't remember if this was reinforced at the retreat that we had in March, or maybe I saw this somewhere else, but I think it was at the retreat that somebody presented and talked about a study that showed that if you have representation through a proceeding. Oh, it was Woody. That's right. Right. That if you have representation at a proceeding, then the outcome is infinitely better in your favor than if you didn't. Uh, and through Unbundled, you're able to, you know, it doesn't have to be full representation start to finish. My clients see a value, even if they represent themselves, in still getting good advice based on years of experience and good quality you know, work throughout the years, to then go armed in to court on their own with a lot more information and knowledge and, and wisdom than if they were going it totally alone. So the point of all that is, you know, what I see Unbundled being able to offer and why I'm so proud to be a part of it is you're helping a lot more people than otherwise would be able to afford these sites, these types of things on some of truly the most important things in their lives, their children, their money, their financial freedom, if it involves debt, those sorts of things. And for the other areas that you serve, you know, immigration, I mean, that's, you know, what can be more important than your right to live in a certain place and, and be employed and, and stay there. So it's a great service. I'm, I'm happy and thrilled to continue to be a part of it. Uh, and I'm just pleased that, you know, this has come along and, and able to help the people in the way that it has. Yeah. Well, I, I can't uh, I can't agree with you more. As these years have gone by, it's been just a privilege to to work with an attorney like yourself and the hundreds of others that we work with that uh, are committed to serving clients in this way. And it feels really good to know that you can do you know you can be in alignment with a greater purpose. You can serve people in this way and also have that be something where you can do really well financially at the same same right like. You know, it always feels like you, ha you know, in the past, you'd have to, you know, provide pro bono services or volunteer and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that, it's good things to do and it, and it makes you feel good, but you don't necessarily benefit as well, right? And so, I think the beauty of this is that there's a, 
you know, a tremendous amount of people that need this service. Um, there's, and there's ways in which you can, you know, there's obviously more and more attorneys that are open and willing to offer it. that are getting the education through the podcast and through some of the, the national trainings that have been going on that Forrest Woody Mosin has been uh, hosting, which I would encourage anyone that watches this uh, to follow his work and some of the webinars he's doing and the trainings we're considering uh, putting together an online CLE for attorneys to learn, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of unbundled services from start to finish on a, how to implement all these strategies from, you know, in depth and so forth. Um, is, is that once you have the skill set and knowledge on how to do this, that you can help all these people that would otherwise not receive help, but also make really good money too. It's a win-win uh, for, you and the, for you and the client. And, that, and that's wonderful to see that, you know? Can I reinforce that point? Because I think it is a critical point for people that are listening to this to understand that, of course, there's the feel-good component about the work that you're doing, the services you're offering, expanding that access to people that otherwise couldn't afford it. But it's not just the feel-good component that, you know, that ultimately drives us. There's, to illustrate the point without being gauche, right? Uh, when I worked with Thomas at the firm that we co-owned, gauche. I haven't heard that word before. <laughs> uh, in other words, I don't want to, you know, go into what I make because it's, you know, I don't know how appropriate that is in this particular forum. But to it's illustrate the point, at the uh, small firm that Thomas and I co-owned when we first kind of got on board with Unbundled, you know, I made a certain amount. When I then joined the large firm, my salary doubled at that firm. And that, to me, again, was a clear reason why. Let's at least see what, it, you know, see what it's like. There was the financial incentive. Leaving that firm and now being on my own and offering a healthy mix of unbundled services and full representation, I now literally make double what I made at the large firm. So I've gone from one to then double to then double by working for myself and offering a whole mix and suite of unbundled options. So... For all those out there that say, you know, well, why would I do that? Because it sounds cut rate or discount or pro bono or this or that. I'm here to, to personally testify that there is a great financial incentive. Again, if you respect your own boundaries, yep. if you're clear from the beginning, if you set the price points at the right way, uh, that it can be a great financial benefit to you as well. Yes. And I think, it, and if you have a commitment to want to contribute and, and make a difference in people's lives and, and give access to services that people could otherwise afford. I mean, I think that's where most lawyers that go to law school, where they start out, you know, they want to help people, you know, because their father was a lawyer or their grandfather was a lawyer or they, they were helped by an attorney. And, you know, unfortunately they get into certain, you know, oftentimes you get into certain environments or areas of practice where it's not so much about contribution and making a difference and stuff. And, and so maybe that spark's been lost, but I think a lot of people, a lot of lawyers have that spark, but, uh, and, and if, and if you do and you, and you, and that's been one of the reasons you went to law school, um, this is certainly an opportunity to, to rehydrate or reinvigorate that spark. Um, and, uh, and still be able to make, you know, an excellent living than, uh, most partners that are, you know, associates at a law firm may be able to make even more. Right. right? So, uh, and that's great to hear. So with that, um, we'll wrap up this, this episode with, with clay. It's been a real privilege, like I said, to sit next with you and to continue to work with you in the way that we have for the years we have, uh, could be more excited about the future and what's to come both, uh, with the development of your practice. Now that, you know, we're talking about expanding it up a bit and getting some contract lawyers on and, and of course, continue to work with you on that to, you know, help, help it evolve phase by phase and step by step to uh, expand the vision of the Wilkinson Empire and, and uh, 
and and gleefully too, because that just means that more and more people are going to get served uh, in the way that uh, you embody. So right. that makes us really stoked. And also, of course, all the things that we're working on with our four benefit launch and and serving even more people than we otherwise have uh, that you know need access to the services that can't afford it. So. And to you uh, as well, thank you so much for listening and being a part of this podcast. Uh, once again, I, um, I want to apologize for not having an episode out for almost two months now. Um, and it is a testament to the fact that um, we had to make an investment in, you know, the, the gear and the equipment and the time of our videographers and so forth to make this happen. This is a full production effort here, obviously, with lights, cameras and action, right? So, uh, and obviously our time to travel and, and come in person to Mr. Wilkins's office here and, and many other attorneys as well. So, uh, but now that we have it all in place, it's something we're committed to continuing and being very consistent with from now on. So we'll be releasing a new episode every single month and at times maybe more, but that's something we're committed to going forward. Uh, and we're on a trip right now to film a bunch more so that uh, we can uh, uh, stand behind that commitment. So we appreciate you being part of everything that we're doing here and implementing these service options in your practice. Uh, certainly follow the show uh, on YouTube if you want to watch in person. That's youtube.com forward slash unbundled attorney. You can see all the episodes that we've done in video format like this. Uh, or, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast uh, through whichever way you listen on Stitcher. We're now on Spotify as well. So you can find Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast through the Spotify app. Um, and, of course, on iTunes through Apple Podcasts and uh, Google Play. So uh, plug in, uh, learn, learn uh, these practices, implement them. Uh, share how it's working. We have a blog where you can share some of the things that you've done and uh, we'll be continuing to develop things that can continue to support you and educate you on how to implement these options in the way that Clay has as well. So with that, thanks again, Clay, for taking the time to join us today uh, and thank you for participating. We'll see you all in the next episode. For more information about how our exclusive Unbundled Leads can help you grow your practice, visit our website at unbundledattorney.com. You can watch each new episode of the podcast on the Unbundled Attorney YouTube channel, or if you prefer to listen, you can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available. And remember to leave us your review on iTunes. We read each and every one of them and really appreciate your support of the show. Once again, thanks for listening.